Welcome to the Five Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen, and with me in this new format that I think people are enjoying, apparently. I think so. Is Ted Haycraft. Uh, surprisingly. I mean, I, I, I'm glad, I'm happy. Uh, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, if the listeners are enjoying these or not. We have no feedback mechanism <laughs> in place, so. Um, coming up today is my pick. Yes. And rather than do the egg timer thing, which I had made fun of, of us getting a long preamble, you, you're, you're clicking on this podcast. You can see the title, in the title, what the movie is. We're talking about the Wachowski uh, Starship's Speed Racer. The Wachowski Starship? Yeah, I haven't heard what they, uh, um, the last term they had themselves, but after they transitioned, people were like, what do we, what do we call you? And they were like, they, they didn't want to say Wachowski Simblades because it sounded like a cop-out. So they they came up with Wachowski Starship. Oh, okay. I hadn't heard that. You hadn't heard that? No, I had not. I uh, don't know if they've changed it, but at the same time, you know, they, they, this was before they'd made Cloud Atlas with Tom Twicker. So, like, in the last few things they'd made was the threesome between all three of them. And then I think it is Lana is the one that still is doing Matrix 4 right now. Well, I was going to ask you I don't know if you had done your homework on the, on the recent events because uh, uh, I noticed that it seems like the, what they kind of like the, only one of them's doing. Staying active and one's dropped out. I feel bad. I haven't done my homework just because one transitioned and the other got outed in a really obnoxious way. And, and what she ended up doing was before she got outed by a journalist who showed up on her doorstep to like confirm, she wrote an essay for a local Chicago paper outing herself. I just I was in a little chart on Wiki uh, that had a like the TV series, the second season's like only one of them. The two of them were on the first, their latest TV series. Oh, I didn't even know that. Since, is it called Since, since, since eight? eight? Yeah, it was like the... With the, the uh, comic book writer, J. Michael Straczynski. Right, and I I haven't seen it. It mentioned that the two of them were on the first season, but the second season, only one of them. And then I noticed uh, The Matrix, the new pre-production of The Matrix is only one of them. Well, um, the I know... One of them is writing, rewrote on it, but the initial script when they announced, it was co-written. I forget who one person was, but the other person was David Mitchell, who wrote the book Cloud Atlas. Right. So So this movie, as I mentioned on the Aaron Smith episode, and I've mentioned a few other episodes, I worked in a movie theater for uh, at least 10 plus years. And one of the benefits, one of the glorious things that you got to watch certain movies that weren't being appreciated by the critical consensus you would find one good scene in a bad movie or something like that. Or you'd find a gem that no one seems to be talking about. And when this movie came out, it was, I don't know if it was a full, um, it was a box office disappointment. I don't know if it was a box office failure. Was it a failure? It's, it, it, they, I think they're, they're classifying it as a failure uh, overall because of the, the money, this is the disparity of There was the clearly expectations the, on it. Oh, and, yes. And, and this the was, merchandise was out the wazoo on it. I kind of forgotten all about that. This was technically their follow-up to the, the Matrix trilogy, which obviously is expanded now or is in the middle of expanding. But this movie came out, they'd done some stuff in between. They produced V for Vendetta. And as I'll point out later, I, I they helped out Joel Silver on some movies and did some rewriting and reshooting and most notable ones. Do you remember that Nicole Kidman, Daniel Craig remake of Invasion of the Body Song? Yeah, they worked on, uh, uncredited on that. They worked on that. But this was technically their first movie since The Matrix. And I don't know. I mean, did you see it in 3D? Uh, I probably did. Was it Was it back when? Was this, this is yeah, uh, put I, together? I, it was 35 millimeter? So, yeah, it would yeah. have been. I'm sure there was 35 millimeter frames. I the theater I worked at was a was one of the first theaters in Austin that had switched over to digital. Oh, you were you were down in Austin when this came out. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, because I saw it on the IMAX. 
Oh, cool. Uh, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that because uh, you know it was it was going to be a big big summer. It was, of course, I, that's interesting because Iron Man was out at the same time. It's 2008. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know sometimes a, a film on IMAX screen will keep off another IMAX film. So I'm not sure, but I remember seeing it. I thought I saw it on IMAX. Aaron could uh, uh, confirm that. But uh, I was just, I was overwhelmed by it. I, I, I was really amazed by it. And, but the funny thing is, I don't think I've gone back to visit it until we picked it. Well, the nice thing for on my end of things was that I, too, hadn't visited in a long time. But when it was out, oh, man, I watched this movie on repeat so many times. Well, I, let me ask you this, if you did that. Did you, here's my reaction to it, and, uh, and somebody but my, let's call me a fool, I thought I've seen the future of films right here. I, I thought I was seeing this is where we're going to films going to go. What do you mean by that? The 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 the, the uh, we, we can go with the details uh, of it. Uh, the but it, the the transitions, the editing, the <sighs> camera work, oh, man. Uh, the colors, oh, everything. And, and of course, it was green green screen from beginning and to end. And everyone was no one was calling this out at the time. And everything people were treating it like it was a gimmick. Uh, yeah, and I remember uh, I, I remember some, one of my friends. Uh, we talked about Star Wars one, two, and three, and how it did, it seemed. We thought uh, his theory was the green screen was so new at the time that, that it was uh, that nobody was getting accustomed to it. How to really uh, uh, well work with it, and it, actors it, work with it. Sure, and it, it was still a learning process, and also there's for the viewership. There's still the uncanny valley part, and it was still you know you know ahead. Uh, what do you call it when you go back and forth on? Uh, the, you know, when you're shot reverse shot, shot reverse shot, you know, same, you know, type of stuff. Whereas I thought in this one, I thought the Wachowskis were like, okay, this is the leap forward. Yeah, leap forward. Throw out the the, 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 the the tropes of, you know, how two people talk in a movie yeah. and how, and movement in movies yeah. and everything. I was, I, I was just amazed at it. And so again, that came all came back flooding. I watched, I only watched it again last night. So this is pretty fresh in my mind. And uh, I, I, that's all. It came rushing back, but I always thought this is. And I remember uh, a couple of years ago when it was his tenth anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my, a lot of pop ups on Facebook everywhere was coming up saying because uh, it's tenth anniversary. They I said, don't. I didn't. I don't think I saw it. Uh, there was all these people going Speed Racer. It's you know it's way overlooked and underrated. And and there was these champions showing up. And I I I chimed in and yeah, I'm a champion. I don't. I, I guess I don't. I don't remember this, but yeah, this this movie is almost. When you when you look at film history, there's this you, you can measure the sophistication of technique and people learn technique from each other. That's why like someone like Lucas makes a predominantly CGI film and it does it's it, he's the pioneer going into it, but he's not going to nail it right away. Right. So there's elements of it that don't work. You need to have someone to pivot from what he did wrong to move into this. Where, like you said, and so do we. I guess it's, it falls to me that we should we should sell the movie first before we start going into, <laughs> okay. into detail about it. Sure, go ahead. But the problem is, is that I'm very unfamiliar with the TV show. I, I remember well, the show I watched and would turn the channel when it came on. Yeah, 66, 67, uh, concurrent, uh, the Batman era a TV series. And then it was, I think, originally based on a manga. Uh, I, I assume and, that. I didn't want to say that. Right. And uh, so, uh, yeah, well, it's so funny. I that's another. That's a we uh, we should do some more homework on that at some point about how I and I've because I've always I'm always amazed. Almost I think almost every single anime was a manga first. 
Uh, well, in other well, words, anime, uh, anime, uh, Japanese animation show was always based on a Japanese comic. I think that's a fair assumption, but also, at the same time, we're recording right now. Too late for homework. <laughs> yeah, it's, true. It's the no, exam. You no, know, no, but it's it's it, it, so I, I'm a, uh, we're, I'm going to make that leap on that. But uh, the uh, yeah, I'm not. I wasn't away from there too, but it was interesting. I was very aware of it. And I knew it was in my. It was on the fringes of my pop culture knowledge. But you didn't watch it. But I no, I was not. Uh, it, it was sufficiently rerun by the time I came to my. And childhood. when cable came along, you know, they you start seeing a lot of more of the old school anime shows show popping up, and the live action was like Ultraman and stuff would pop up on uh, cable, and uh, so they started. There was a little groundswell of this stuff bubbling uh, up, and uh, once uh, it seemed like all of a sudden with the uh, comic book stores and you know, video games. Uh, in the 80s and, and early 90s, all of a sudden, it's like everything was up for grabs. Uh, Around the time the direct market started making comic book stores. Yeah, and so all of a sudden this stuff, you know, and, and all this stuff was starting to come back. It was really amazing. So all this old old school anime was uh, showing it back up on, on the uh, landscape. like Just like, you know, like Betty Page, you know, being uh, resurrected. And all this just, it was just fascinating time. And I think that led into all these... Uh, blockbuster movies uh, but you're saying basically you're unfamiliar with the no yeah because all because all, all i know about the uh, story speed racer comes from this movie oh, okay right. yeah so speed racer okay the thing the the one thing from just a storytelling standpoint i find insanely amazing about this movie is this has one of the coolest expositionary first acts <laughs> yeah. Ever like it, the the thing? Okay, if you look at a traditional three act structure, three act structures are simply defined as I think Aristotle defined it as get a character up a tree, uh, once they're up a tree, throw rocks at a tree, and get them down a tree in the third act. Second act being the the throw rocks at the part. And in Hollywood, traditionally, what it comes down to your first act is you want to get your characters on stage, you want them to show some character behaviors so you can get a, a quick inclination that you know who they are. You want to know what they want in the story. Their goals appear. Exposition. Yeah, exposition. Yeah, you get them across. And and you, we've the three act structure is way too predominant in Hollywood storytelling. So we've all seen it. We know it. And the two first acts that I think were some really exceptional screenwriters just being like, all right, you want to you want to get a lot across of a lot of information in the first act. I'll do it. Is this and Magnolia, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's movie, where he has like 12 characters or seven characters, I forget what, but uh, it's in a very virtuoso. He gets across those characters very fast, really quickly. And this this is done in a technique that the Wachowskis, we're going to go into a lot later because it's used predominant, uh, in this movie, but it's a technique they have been developing and really hits its stride here where it's this montage that goes back and forward and gives you pieces of information in a very literary way, but fast cinematic way too, where it just comes up in these little clips and flashes gives you the information you need right when you need it and it goes back and forth in time the first place there's there's a version of it that's in the third matrix movie very briefly and it's not that strongly utilized but weirdly the first place i mentioned is in the movie i mentioned earlier the invasion of the body snatchers remake they did there's this montage in the middle of it and this is a movie that's excessively mediocre and kind of not a thing to revisit but in the middle of this movie is this very innovative montage that's very invigorating that goes back and forth suddenly to like i forget where what even what it was whether it was like this is the plan how we're going to get past the aliens blah 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 huh uh, i i actually do want to revisit i think it's it was i remember thinking this has got problems but it's got some things in it, it you know. who directed that it's the, is it's it, a german director it's not the guy right? that did the lives of others is it 
Might have been. I don't know. I, I know he did something else significantly. The, the nice thing about it, <laughs> I, I guess maybe I'm even showing my age, um, I was able to like put a closed captioning on, stop it, and rewind a sequence because <laughs> I like, what did I, is that what I just thought it, I think? You happened? have trouble knowing if they went to the future or went to the yeah, past? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The opening, uh, the opening where he's actually, he uh, well, I guess to do with tell some of the plot where, you know, the Speed Racer's got an older brother. It was sort of a track record. I uh, love that you. I diverted from telling the story and went to this whole thing, and you're getting us back on track to tell the story. Well, I mean, uh, well, gosh, that's not, I'm kind of even jumping ahead on that. Basically, Speed Racer is that's his name. The boy named the Speed family's Racer. named his last name is Racer, and his first name is Speed. Right, and he's got John Goodman as his father, who's a big mechanic and makes cars. And part his of the, mom, played by Susan Sarandon, is just a homemaker, I guess. I guess at this point, because this is you gotta remember that it's, this is the '60s when it was uh, sure, uh, sure. came from. It's very set uh, with the '60s suburbia, what uh, atmosphere? Sure. And then uh, you got an uh, older brother, uh, and then you eventually have a younger brother. There's a big age gap. So they, they, uh, it's the younger the brother gaps. doesn't appear in the flashbacks, right? He's not around. No, because yet, and then. So uh, he hadn't been born yet. And the brother has a monkey. Yeah, the, the, the little brother has a monkey, Chim Chim, who's... Who's yeah. also not around. Uh, right. And then the older brother disappears mysteriously, and then Speed Racer has become this great racer, and they want to get... Uh, corporates are after him and to sign up to be a, a big... Uh, He's got to live uh, up to the legacy of his brother, which is, has a shadow over the family, and he went, you know... And, they're nebulous exactly what what the whole racing circuit is. There's two, there's a few big races that come up in the rest. There's of the a Grand Prix to get to, but there's also a, a road rally across, kind of like the Gumball Rally or you know to a, a final race, some rally. kind of final race. But this is this is definitely not a 500 circuit or a NASCAR thing going. <laughs> it's, on. it's a yeah. They've taken it and 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 you know in this world it's there. But it's so funny. This world's really crazy. But they take the time that they actually throw in old footage of old car racing. Uh, the, oh man! Yeah. And then in the, 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 the middle midst of all these like bright, bright <laughs> primary colors, that's way oversaturated. They put in some, and that's very digital looking, and um, with its plane separated, they put in the, like old footage that may or may not be old footage, but they make sure to put some thirty-five or some film scratches in it and sepia toned. And so yeah, so the, you, you, what struck me is that the Wachowskis just took this tools took the tools and just said okay let's really maximize these things and i again i go back to thinking wow this is this is uh, this is going to change we're going to see a lot more of this stuff and it didn't really happen i guess to the failure one of my friends my age who i respect his opinion and everything he watched it recently and he was not uh, he said it was just too much overload it was too fast too much stuff coming at him and i i kind of agree it was uh, it, the luxury of the, uh, the Blu-ray is that you can stop and start. Well, this also gets to a certain thing that I love about the movie is that this movie is aimed at kids. Yes and no. I think it's almost, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I almost want to say we got a Dick Tracy scenario here possibly. It's I think it all plays for all ages. No, no, it plays for all ages, yeah. but I feel like the technique is what gets it to play for all ages. And there's some certain... I mean, there's not a lot of subversive jokes in there. There's some, but there's not... Well, there's a very... Actually, the, the I think the... The plot, the plot, the mechanics of the plot about the corporation and stuff, it's almost too complicated. It almost, you'd almost, you almost can't, I almost couldn't figure it out. How so? Uh, the, 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 the Japanese family 
And then there was the other organization that John Goodman turned down. And then the, this the, is the spoiler part where we go into the uh, this is the end of the second act where the right. So we got you know so we got there's a very there's all these machinations going on that are hard to keep up. You got to really stay on your toes to keep up with. I think you know there's a certain part of me that has seen this movie so many times, and when I had gotten this gap without seeing it, and when that happened, I don't even know if I 100 percent concretely knew what happened. I just knew, oh yeah, betrayal. Yeah, right. And it's well, I go back to Hitchcock on that. It's like the MacGuffin. You know, it doesn't really. Sometimes the plot mechanics don't really uh, matter as long as, long as you're you know the thrill of the ride. Which is basically this is a major thrill. Even uh, I, I, well, I don't know if we want to start going into stylistic details. Well, I want to go back into the, the so the technique they shot with it, it's with the gap. I was able to like analyze it a little differently than I would have then when it was so fresh and so new because um, there have been some people that have taken it up. The one of the big things they love to do is they'll um, when they want to make an edit, they'll wipe across the screen with a foreground element, and usually it's a close up or somebody. And this element's been taken up by Edgar Wright, most notably. But I know on one of the movies I edited, we had a, um, after I left, when VFX had come around, I, when I saw the final version, we had a wipe in the movie. And I asked the director about it, and he's like, yeah, we added that in later with the visual effects. And it's a way of s- sneaking an edit in there. But they would, the other big notable thing that I was able to see that they took from anime, anime, or all animation is basically done where you draw, you'll paint a background element. This is the old cell animation style. You'll paint a background element that will be a consistent element of the background, and then you'll put a cell, a, a clear cell, and then you will draw on top of the cell, and the cell is the foreground element that is going to move. The background element that's painted is not going to move. What with cartoons, you'll move side to side, back to forth. They'll pan across it, but basically it's a horizontal painting that you'll move the background across, and the foreground is the cell. And basically, the Wachowskis apply 3D, uh, 3D like live-action animation to that, where they separate their elements, where they can use CGI for their background, and their foreground is a completely different element. But like you were talking about with the shot reverse shots, they can do so much crazy stuff where like they'll isolate the foreground being an actor in close up and then they'll completely swipe out the the background swipes where, and wipes just constantly going and then they're cut out wipes you know it's like it's just the head of a person the, coming in the composite yeah the composite it's not you know Whereas, you, you know, you couldn't have not uh, done this back in the day or it, it really would have been super difficult. And it's just, and there's, it's just constant uh, momentum. but Constant momentum. It adds to the aesthetic of the, of, the, of the film that I thought, wow, this is... And right off the bat, I just loved how uh, the Warner Brothers, and he, I always like when directors they had a kaleidoscope effect right off the bat. Well, they also signal how much, like, it's, again, going to my theory that it is more for kids, like, colors and shapes come up in the, uh, in the, behind the Warner Brothers logo right at the beginning. Yeah, but there's a really, you know, it's, you know, the stuff for the kids, you get the monkey and the little boy, and it's way over the top. I always, I always had that. No, 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 the, the, the kid stuff begins at the very, very beginning. One of my favorite things about the movie, which I don't want to spoil the very end, but the very beginning is Speed Racer being born in school. Yeah, oh yeah, that's great. That's fantastic oh, stuff. The sequence where he starts imagining himself drawing mm-hmm. and or imagining himself in a race and it's this child's drawing of a race just shows the level of imagination this movie aspires to. Right. And it's also it's so it's hilarious because it's the most basic way of cinema. The yeah, paper clip. It, you know, oh you, yeah, totally. you draw, yeah, the Zotrope, going back to the Zotrope days and then you're but you're watching the state of the art cinema. 
it's just amazing. Uh, and and uh, I was going to go about the little boy and the monkey. It's just like it's it's a it's a trope that Speed Racer shares with so many cartoons, of, especially of that era, and that's probably still continues to this day, where you have you know Johnny Quest had banned the little dog and. Uh, you know, and you're just like, you know, sometimes I'm like, I get a little frustrated with, or, you know, Space Ghost had the two young kids and the well, monkey, you I, know. The one thing uh, I noticed this time with the monkey was like, you know, chimpanzees are, un, you know, unruly creatures where they're like, they, they'll, you know, go crazy after yeah. certain minutes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are very few times that they were filmed together at the same time. It, it, no, in fact, I, I was, I, what little homework I did on this, they got in trouble. Apparently the uh, Wrangler hit the chimp or something at one point. Really? And the, so the, uh, so and so don't endorse this film or something that whatever they uh with it because because the, the champ is one of the most it's one of those like transition or adaptation things that's like well this makes sense you're going to get a real champ you're not going to animate the chip yeah well although I guess right now they would animate the chip but but yeah you know here we are in the podcast talking about this uh, you know this uh, this such amazing visual film and uh, we can, well, we're not going to be able to do it super justice, but it's just that you need to see this. If you're in, interested in uh, any type of state-of-the-art stylistic stuff you can do in cinema with CGI and green screen, you should watch this. Well, because this is all state of compositing right now and a lot of VFX with everyone, have, especially green screen's gotten really big in the pandemic. Everyone, a lot of people got a green screen. This stuff. I mean, the, the camera's resolution is probably comparable to what you'll get with the DSLR right now, much less your the technology to composite this stuff. And, of course, once the movie you know hits the ground running and it does not let go. The one thing I didn't notice, I probably forgave at the time is you're not a you're not a video game person but well this deaf movie definitely has a mario kart feeling to well, it. well yeah i wanted to bring that up i wanted to you know the, the, there i keep on forgetting this is like where this is get off my lawn uh go for it uh, moment for me it's just i'm so stuck in the old school way that i never be i never got hooked into video games and so that's a blind spot on my side of you know some of the cinema. Some might not say that's a, or some might say it's a positive blind well, spot. Well, anyway, you could go either way with it. But I'm thinking that kid weaned on video games, and especially like my great nephews, I can see them watching Fort. They do Fortnite and this, and they actually watch people playing games. You know that kind of stuff. The thing on YouTube. Uh, yeah, and that I'm thinking. To them, Speed Racer probably plays at a normal speed for them. It could probably uh, take it in much easier than I took it in. I mean, I still, even last night watching it, I'm just like, wow. I See, uh, I, I guess I just look at, I mean, I don't want to just go straight to the kid viewers being ADD, but I, I think it was just something of like, this is the way the Wachowskis were trying to like, there was a feeling where the Matrix wasn't, the, the last two Matrix movies weren't successes or were disappointments to people, and so they need to make up with something. This is how, between the way they filmed it, the very innovative way they filmed it, that they need to do something that pushed the medium forward in a sophistication way. And so they're trying to push a lot of information on you at once for a very simple IP story that they Joel Silver probably talked them into. Yeah, well, yeah, the project had been bu uh, bubbling around with a bunch of other people until they, they landed on them. Um, and you're, like you said, it's for kids. It's, it's a family film. Even though they're, even the kid, I think flips the finger at one point. I thought. In the, uh, well, come on, that, but he. he I know, but it's just, funny, it's just so funny. I'm thinking, you know, if they really wanted to make it family friendly, there's a couple of things, they, a couple words, and a couple things. I thought. Well, I think I think a good family wants to flip off of <laughs> corporate evil. But uh, but getting back, I just can't. Uh, the stylistic stuff was just, I'm just still kind of amazed by it. I, in fact, when I was, uh, after I'd watched the credits, and I had to go back and uh, check a few things out that I kind of like 
But after watching the credits, I'm like, what? I was noticing how the track itself, just the track itself, is adding to the layers of storytelling and the, the look of the film, where it's almost like it's like it's, it's acting as the swish, the speed motion swishing of you know when you draw a comic book you draw lines. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of motion. Yeah, they're, they're, like that. Streaks. The, the track is they play that, and then the, tr the color and the you know just the. Well, I mean, like a lot of the track has like a checkered flag thing where you can see speed going by it. I remember I had a film teacher that pointed out you know that famous. Uh, vertigo zoom and jaws where uh, pull back from, 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 uh, yeah where shiner forward, first yeah. sees the uh, uh shark the thing he pointed out back to me was in the background of that shot are these dressing booths with stripes on the side of them so when you see the pushback you see the, the stripes move their shape much faster so it's a filmy thing where you put those lines in there so you see speed motion go past faster through them right well yeah and this thing is just, is just filled with all kinds of stuff like that in fact there was one race portion whether the side of the track there uh, was this image of a zebra running. And, oh, I forgot. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. I, I, I almost made me think of like the old yeah. uh, um, filmmaker. Uh, I can't think. You gave me a book on him. I, My Bridge? No. Yeah. Uh, Edward. Like yeah, you're close. You're close. Yeah. Where he, took, we, he we shot a horse. They were trying to see if all We four, didn't get it. It's a Rebecca Solnit book, was that I got to. Yeah, Ted. but the horse, all four, uh, you know, he was shooting. Trying to prove that uh, all four legs of a horse. Are they were trying around. to figure out exactly how a, le a horse's legs move. Yeah. And run. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, you know, it's just like these little things in that just may amaze me. But you know, going back to the tropes and breaking the rules of you know your of things like in, uh, movie making. There's one scene where the the, the English guy who somebody pointed out looks like it kind of reminded me of Christopher Hitchens. Oh, oh my gosh, it totally <laughs> is! Wow. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh! It he's is. he's the baddie corporate guy, a big baddie uh, white English corporate guy, and he's talking to an Asian corporate guy, and there are two heads, and usually you know you do the reverse reverse back and forth, mm -hmm. or you do it over the shoulder, you know, or you just you know you cut it sort of. The two heads are talking, and the heads are floating back and forth at well, different the, angles and different it's, a, it's that compositing you're talking about well the most notable one this in the montage i was talking about earlier is when they first dive into the very it's midway through the movie or at the end of the first act when they dive into that first montage where they seriously go back and forth beyond the first act there's a shot of the english guy i can't believe we're, we're respectable podcasters and forgot his name <laughs> um they hold on him and the background turns into motion blurs and they pan on the close-up of him in a way that does not match up with the motion blurs, but they stay on it forever. And that's how they transition into the race. And it's a very breathtaking transition. Yeah. It, it, the, there's a lot of things like that throughout the whole film. And going back to that first uh, exposition scene where he, you, uh, he's, uh, speed is racing and he could probably be beat his brother's record and they actually, there's a point where he's racing against his brother. With the ghost. You can the see ghost. the ghost image of his brother yeah. racing with him. And so I, but before, it took me a while before they were going back and forth. Oh, Speed is a little kid and Speed now racing. And it, and it was so uh, stealthful. It was so done well, so smoothly that you almost, at first, you, I almost missed it. That well, and the thing is about the reason this first act works so well isn't just all the like, CGI tomfoolery they're doing like the very first thing that lets you transition cinematic it's one of those basic cinematic to, uh, clues of like the first uh, uh, flash from old current Emil Hirsch speed racer to younger speed racer is 
you see his back, you don't see his face in the first shots of the movie, and then it goes to a close-up of his lay, or his foot tapping too fast because he's doing it. And then it cuts to a kid with the same tapping foot. Yes. It's a very so, basic transition, very basic cinema. Yeah, very, but uh, but there's like it, but it, it, it done, but even uh, even that transition, he, they they take it and they seem like they take it to another level to me. And then it, also, I want to point out in that scene where they're sitting in the locker room mm-hmm. <laughs> to show you the, the detail they were keeping a hold of throughout the film. There's a floor, there's there's two or three fluorescent lamps uh, lamps uh, above them, and one actually flickers and goes out. So what's this, I, uh, what's the oh, well, just a detail just. They that they they didn't have to do that. Oh, you mean just like making a CG scene look real? I well, just just a detail of realism, but you know, just to take it to that length, uh, to, to that factor. Just a real detail. In yeah, there. I just I was I was really impressed because I think a lot sometimes they would not have gone to that length to do something that minute one in of the, a CGI scene. One thing I wanted to point out about the transitions is this movie had two visual effects supervisors, and one of them, Dan Glass, who had worked with the Wachowskis, I actually worked with. And I didn't work that much with them, but I did get to pick his brain about a few different stuff, but I barely picked his brain about this, and all he really said was that a giant chunk of the visual effects component was the transitions in this movie. Oh, yeah. Which makes sense when you watch it. And that's why, yeah. That's what I guess. That's what made me think it, I, I was seeing something new and and in the future was the transitions. They were just going at coming at you in such unique, different ways and so fast. You know, like I said, maybe you know the tapping of the foot. That's you know something is uh, that's an old school. That's an old school transition. thing. But you start multiplying it and how and then the the wipes and the cutouts and the composites and. And, and just well, because when when you take the film they use and the the feeling is they're using everything. Yes, yeah. Like good cinema, they're using everything and adding and and, and pushing it forward somehow with it all with the CGI at their disposal. CGI, you know, I, I know everybody's going oh CGI fatigue or everybody's getting which kind of to be on. fair again back to the Mario Kart thing this CGI will not age well but that's not the point. Yeah, I, it still seemed fresh to me. I, I I was I enjoyed it. I was you know I was watching different things and you know the acting and John Goodman's performance. John Goodman, man, uh, uh, just different things that I really uh, really enjoy. <laughs> There's on the gumball rally race type race they have, the uh, almost everybody is paid off to go knock out Racer X and Speed Racer and the the the, uh, the Japanese guy. They're all teamed up together, mm-hmm. uh, and they're all so there's there's a group of Vikings <laughs> type people. What's called I think the lady of the group is called Broomhilda, and uh, they have maces coming out of their cars. <laughs> just uh, the, 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 uh, just really outrageous, goofy things. <laughs> That you wouldn't think in a modern... It's almost like an animator's grab bag of yes. all the stuff like animators who are bored would want to add into something. And a lot of the little fanboy details that I loved in this film that were thrown in there, uh, little uh, Easter eggs or whatever. One guy yells out, Krom! What's the... That's, that, that's Conan's god. Oh, okay. From Conan. He just yells it out, Krom! Because but the Wachowskis, yeah. as we mentioned on last episode, are, are big Conan fans. The animation that... Uh, the uh, younger brother and the monkey are watching. See, when we're talking about this movie being for young people, that's the thing I wanted to point out. Just because, like, the way they, like, saw themselves in the animation and then, like, later in the movie when they actually try to get into a fight and how that, the animation and imagination versus, this movie is so in love with children's imagination. I think, actually, though, I those kind of sequences are in the original cartoon where they would isolate 
a character out and and the background would just go to just stylistic lines, you know. Uh, no, no, no. That, that I guess I guess the background making sense. And are you trying to say that the animation that they use in this was from the original? No, no, no. That that that, that those little sequences were inspired directly from the cartoon. There's a um. There's another animation technique that I always found fascinating from back in the day was whenever there wasn't too much motion needed and animators need to get through something fast. They would decide when to go from 12 frames a second or 12 frames a second to 24 frames a second, whether they need to make 24 drawings to show a fluid motion or 12 frames to just get through something fast. And those sequences look like 12 frame. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were a TV budget cartoon and so they had limited animation. So they're all of a sudden in this state of the art film, you get the monkey and the little boy, Jumping at each other in kung fu positions, and they're they're totally stagnant over this amazing color behind them and and speed lines. But they're watching a cartoon, and I'm like, that's Jeff Darrow. Uh, that did well. There's something in the uh, detail, right? And I'm like, that's really that. Jeff Darrow they're watching. I, which I, I was so keyed into that, I didn't even because Jeff Darrow was a conceptual artist for The Matrix. Well, yeah, uh, him and Steve Scrocci are both comic book guys, and they were utilized on all the Matrix Matrix films, and they're utilized here in this one. And so I'm like, oh, that's Jeff Darrow. Wait, and were they used, utilized on this? Yeah. I didn't know that. That, that animation they're watching. That, I thought you were saying that was stylistic. So I'm watching the credits, and I, they both know, and they, they their names are in the credits. Wow. And, but I got all the way to you know, the end of credits. I'm a, I'm a credit watcher on films. I always have been. And two things that stuck out at the very end. Johnny Quest, background music. I'm like, what? And I'm like. Seriously? Yes, seriously. Wow. So I had to go back and find it. I mean, I couldn't believe I didn't recognize it because I'm a pretty big Johnny Quest fan and that and, and Johnny Quest is all kind of the speed racer 60s uh, stuff they were playing uh, the tropes were playing with and sure enough it's the animated Jeff Darrell stuff they're watching that's that's where the Johnny Quest music is used <laughs> and I'm like oh of course and I I, I, I may I bet you back when it was in the theater I recognized the Quest music but I was so enamored trying to figure out that animation they were watching that I didn't even pay attention to the music wow. so that's where the Johnny Quest music is then another really weird credit I don't know if you think you can figure this out i didn't go back to try to find this but it stock footage from moonraker from moonraker yeah i'm like okay where would that you know what you know uh, they would have been of the age of someone who fell in love with bond movies and like it, maybe they you know got into the star wars ripoffs with like what? yeah of course it makes me think of like you know how uh ridley scott used footage from the shining and blade runner I'm just wondering if it's something they 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 need it and they and then when Moonraker had why it. would they go that far back to Moonraker? I don't know. Back to the Jeff Darrow thing. Bill Pope, uh, their cinematographer on The Matrix, recently did a really good uh, podcast episode of Roger Deakins' podcast and detailed exactly why the first Matrix works so well and why the other two, which. It should be said. That's I am other, a huge, that's no, 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 no. It's it's I and I'm willing to jump into that because I am a diehard fan of those last two Matrix. I will defend them with my dying. Well, breath. we're trying to defend Speed Racer and, and no, no. Are, Speed Racer is defendable. I I think so. Speed Racer. Yeah. Or you just heard that. You just said the Tenant. Well, I mean, so some people that don't have not seen it or didn't see it or it, it failed. And why I, and, why why are you why are you fighting for their attention, Ted? Well, because I think they, I think it, it deserves attention. No, no, this movie deserves attention, but yeah. the people who won't, who are trying to like listen to this and be like, I'm still not going to watch it. Like, <laughs> we we don't need to fight for them, and they they don't want to watch well, it. Yeah. But The Matrix is a movie that smart people who have given it a chance have. Anytime I tell them I liked it, I will always fear the body, see the body language and sneer on their face when I tell them. Like even 
you right now you're like come on let's do this like like you you want to be like come on why why do you really like those uh, no two and three no I mean it's like I said it's a whole another podcast and I need to re- I need to revisit them to anyway anyway in this Bill Pope podcast he talks about how basically uh, after ba- uh, bound the Wachowskis had um, got Silver to go with his script the Matrix they written for years they'd had written for years. And they kept getting big people involved with it, famously like Will Smith or Sean Connery, and they would back out. So they'd get through pre-production, and then they'd have their main person drop out. So they had a really long pre-production where they got to hone the script down on a perfect thing, but they also got to really dive in to um, hiring comic book artists to conceptualize what they're going to do, which is why Jeff Darrow and Skeeves Roach were hired for something like this. And have you ever seen the Animatrix? Uh you know, if I did, I, I don't remember. I mean, I, I bought it. I, I have it. I, I want to say they were heavily involved with this. One of the things that I give the Watch House so much credit for, it's mostly in Cloud Atlas. It's some in Sense8, which I haven't seen the entirety of. But I always feel like a lot of blockbuster movies have some really junk values in them where they're, like, trying to tell people to live bad lives that are basically commerce-based and, like, go go for the wrong things. You know, money is the ultimate. And... The Wachowskis always have this like little bit of wisdom in there. Like my favorite thing about the uh, Matrix sequels is how I hated, I li- had a problem with the first Matrix in the Christ uh, story inside of it. And the second Matrix movie just massively undercuts the Christ story in it on purpose. And this one has little things like, slight spoiler, very end of the movie where you kind of know where this movie's going at the one of the most triumphant moment that that scene we were talking about at the beginning of the movie that where he was imagine the drawing in this childlike wonder of why he loved racing in the first place that flashes back at the triumphant moment where he, the movie hits its big point you get to see the childlike inspiration of all behind all of this or one of my other favorite sequence thing is when john goodman they recur the like if you the fight between a parent leaving the ha- uh, talking to a, son, a child leaving the house and they use the cliche line if you leave this house don't ever come back they repeat that scene twice in this movie. The first time is the conventional way, and the second time is a much more wise and... Well, John, two different brothers. Yeah, but John Goodman says something in there. It's just like, this movie is just smarter than it needs to be. Well, yeah. Well, here's here's one of the notes I wrote down. I, I, it was uh, art versus commerce. I can... Yeah. I yeah, can. I mean... It, it, the Wachowskis are definitely going to get behind that metaphor, too. What's funny is I've been thinking about this. I've been watching... Cameron Crowe movies lately, and <laughs> okay, yeah, and I rewatched Aloha the other day, and I saw, I saw that, yeah. I'm curious it's weird because Cameron Crowe's movies start to falter, like Elizabeth Town Aloha really fall into it, where he's like writing somebody who's in another profession, but he tries to write them as artists, and the Wachowskis do, do definitely go down this line where there's that great Susan Sarandon line in here where she's like, "When I watch what you do, it takes my breath away." His car racing is like art. His car racing is art. Yeah. yeah. And the fact, and also you got the scene, the big, the big, uh, all you got all these uh, like going montage back back, going back and forth, building a car with uh, the, the the corporate business deals mm-hmm. dealings, and then going back and, and then like again, art versus karma, the home, you know, the whole mom and pop thing versus the corporate world. And on a basic cinematic level, you know, D.W. Griffith with Intolerance is typically credited, maybe a little um, reductively recredited with intercutting and dueling, du- dueling action yeah. and. This is a such digital modern version of dueling action. It's, yeah, of course they took it to another level with Cloud Atlas. Uh, 
<laughs> well, Cloud Atlas is more in the book. The, but it's more the, traditional. Uh, I was going to say, that that doesn't have transitions like this. And that's no, in the no, book, no, no, no. Yeah, again. Following yeah. up the Bill Pope thing, Bill Pope and them had a falling out at the end of the Matrix sequels. And David Tattersall, who shot the prequels, the Star Wars prequels, shot this. Oh, wow. Well, he, uh, they get much improvement uh, going from that, from those to this. One of my other favorite details in that last montage to show how this, like, again, the values thing and the, like, art versus commerce and the rich versus poor is there's this great transition of the rich guy, de- like, uh, someone at the party is shoving out caviar, and it cuts to Susan Sarandon making peanut butter yeah, sandwiches. Yeah, well, that's the same, yeah, that same uh, uh, montage I was talking about earlier. The, uh, so it, it really home, it brings it home again. I didn't want to dive into something that I don't know if you paid attention to, but it was something that was an unfortunate thing watching this now, 12 years later, ho- hovered over me. Have you were you aware that Emil Hirsch kind of got me too? Uh, it was a little awkward watching because I mainly heard about the Me Too and when he in Once Upon when he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, people were like, "Why should he be in this?" What had happened was a few years ago he was at Sundance and he got arrested and pled guilty for headbutting a woman movie executive who was at Sundance with him, and he said that he was under under the influence of I don't know it was just drinking or something, but. He's since gotten sober. I think I read that he's written a novel. But before he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, this had happened. And, I mean, making amends. He seems like he's making amends. But I still, I I, I had I read this after seeing the movie. And I just knew, like, that weird. Well, that's interesting. Now that you brought him up, I wanted to talk a little bit what you think, why it failed. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I was trying to watch this thing. I'm thinking, this has got so, it's so rich. So fun, so colorful, all these things. Why, how, why wouldn't this, you know, it wasn't, you know, because, you know, the other movies out of the time, Iron Man and other things. Or one thing I thought was maybe Emil Hirsch, possibly. He, I like, I, I, I didn't mind him. I liked him. Fine. I think he saw in the movie, but are you trying to say that he's I'm not thinking, exceptional? I, I, I'm thinking he, he seems to be, compared to everything else going around him, even the other characters, He's a little soft. Well, he's like, supposed to be kind of a cipher for a lot of things. Like, it's weird. The, the other thing I want to point about the casting I found fascinating is Christina Ricci and Susan Sarandon are both almost cast just for their eyes because they have the big anime right. eyes. But And Susan Sarandon, obviously, is going to be gold in everything you do. And but. Goodman looks like the character from the cartoon. I do know that. Goodman, my favorite thing, one of the f- favorite Goodman scenes in this is, you know, the Wachowskis are stylizing the fighting when they happen, and they're coming off the Matrix where they were supposed to be doing, you know, the next iteration of John Woo. And the one fight scene where they're like, we got to commit to this, is John Goodman's fight scene. He's, a, he's an old school wrestler, and, and they take it to really cartoony links. It's really fun. But, uh... What about well? I'm just what I want to say is like they, at one point Johnny Depp was uh, cast and, he had, and then he had to drop out. And I'm thinking, I wonder if a you know a Tom Cruise or a Johnny Depp type. And Johnny back when everybody still liked Johnny. <laughs> yeah, there would have been a little bit more of a I don't know what uh, word I'm looking for, but a uh, more edge or more of a cartoony edge or, or a little bit over the top, just a little bit of uh, push that maybe Hirsch didn't have that maybe that hurt a little bit. I don't know. Uh, at the box office, I'm not sure. You know, I'm just like I'm saying, 
I think again, I, I, well, the problem with this uh, is a this is a totally twenty twenty hindsight conversation where Hirsch's career didn't jump from this. No, well, I always thought when I saw him cast, I think it was in his breakthrough with Sean Penn's film uh, uh, Into the Wild. Into the Wild, I thought you know I'd think oh, okay, he's he's a Sean Penn school of acting. You know, he's a very methody type. You know, one of those one of the, in that category. I, I think. I uh, guess I just. I, I I don't disagree with you. I also just don't think that he not to has, hold it against. Yeah, I mean, not I that, don't think he did necessarily anything particularly bad in this movie. Like no, no, I don't. His, his performance was what was called for, and I I didn't fault him. For yeah, that. I, I'm just again, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to figure out why it's it's that's that's the you know, of course if Hollywood knew this they would you know that's what their that's their goal is to try why to, this movie didn't do well. I honestly, the things we're celebrating, I think a lot of the stylization. And well, like it, it, a lot of people thought it was a gimmick at the time, and then it didn't turn people on. And there's some people that write essays and, and defend this film and talk about it. They're, they want, Some of them look at it as, as an art film. I can totally... And, and it I, is. I mean, it's, I, in some I, ways, you I, can I, look at it from that... I feel like a goal of me on this, this podcast is to work Stan Brackage into every episode, <laughs> but there is some... There is a digital $100 million oh. strand brackage stuff going on here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want, going back to this, another detail, I wrote this down. Uh, going back to the, the art film aspect of the transitions and the state of the art, there's that, the, the army helmet guys, the guys that have army helmets on, and uh, oh. they're, they're, they're paid to go in the desert scene, which I also think is a little bit of a Mad Max a nod. Maybe uh, I, could, I I I think it's all. But anyway, that. there's like these three transitions. The guy opens up the money, the the bad guy uh, paying him off opens up the money from these guys that are army soldier outfitted. They look at it, they get real excited. All of a sudden, you can see money symbols in their goggles. <laughs> I mean, just that. And then again, that, that's like animator push it uh, touches. Yeah, the and then from there. It. We cut out to them. They're like real happy with the money and their and the money emblems in their goggles. And then also we're back on the desert on the bottom half of the screen, but their head is still on the top half of the screen, gloating like ah, you know, we're gloating. And I mean, and and, and I, I'm not doing it. You know, you have to need to see this to, to see how wonderful it's done. The movie I. I have not revisited this movie, but the movie I remember thinking that was a failure that reminds me most of this is Angley's Hulk, where like, and oh. I, the idea, no, no, the movie, I, I admit, doesn't work, but at the same time, this idea of like pushing the idea of, as an editor, I'm obsessed with split screens and finding, especially in the digital era, different ways you can put more information in a split screen and the Wachowskis have a very flowing way of dealing with this and it's very artfully done, but at the same time, it's got a basis in a lot of classical cinema. I mean, there's a lot of like man with movie ma camera or- Oh yeah, it's it's yeah, like I said, art. Going back, it's art. I we did we that might be a film we should do sometime. It's, I, I, it's on my list. It's on my list because I I, I I do think, you know, Hing Lee's like a master filmmaker, and oh, I, I Whitey stumbled with the Hulk. I think I have an idea why. Maybe. I was saying, man with movie camera is on my list. Not, I mean, Angley's Hulk. I, I probably should rewatch that. Yeah, one, we should. Well, actually, we should. Yeah, we need to revisit that. But yeah, anyway, uh, art film. I mean, uh, it's just it's just a, it's just an amazing film and. And now it's become almost like a, it's off in the corner, a, a little secret that, and I, I, like I said, every it bubbles up every once in a while on the uh, social platforms saying, I like Speed Racer. You guys like Speed Racer? And, and you, all of a sudden you find these defenders for it. So it's nice to hear that they're out there. Yeah. And I mean, I, my, one of my favorite things to do is, with the movies is to find a favorite and then withhold some, watching it. Don't watch it over and over. And this was a really pleasant surprise because I it's a movie I had on Blu-ray and I just 
hadn't watched in years, and I rewatched it again. I remember why I loved it so much in the first place, so thoroughly. And I love the advantage now. I actually, I love the fact that I can play back scenes that I go, whoa, and I can just stop. Uh, subtitle it and, and so put the subtitles on and watch it again subtitle and, as it was originally intended <laughs> so it was uh, it's wonderful it's I, I can't recommend it highly enough so is that is that all you got well i yeah I'm, i mean uh, if you love cinema i think you should really enjoy this uh anything else is just a little odds and ends the, i think uh like i said it's a family is it a family film is it an art film is it a podcast oh, film? i did want to point out one of the last lines of the movie is get that weak shit off my track so <laughs> to get to your family idea Ugh. yeah well i guess that's enough for this episode then yes go see go, go see. speed racer go, go speed, speed racer, racer. go <laughs>